Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, October 27th, 2019 called Reformation, A Call to Unity, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage for today's reading comes from the book of John, chapter 17, verse 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And of course, we'll project an outline. There's a written one if you like to look at it. Um, so I was, on a, I was on a plane trip recently, and it's kind of cool now. Uh, you can get free entertainment all these. Delta does a great job with that. And that's what I fly almost all the time. But I happen to be on a different airline. So I'm accustomed to what Delta offers in movies and TV shows and things like that, that I can kind of kill the time as I'm traveling. But this was on United, and, and uh, they had a different uh, grouping of things. And I came across, they actually offer the original Star Trek series. So I went back, way back into it, and, there's a, and I'm dating myself terribly here, um, but the, uh, the, the main protagonist in it, um, other than Kirk and Spock and all those guys, was Frank Gorshin. Do you remember him? Frank Gorshin was the Riddler in the old Batman TV, Campy, the very Campy TV series. And Frank Gorshin played this part, and the, the whole centerpiece of the thing is there are these, he's chasing after someone. Um, an insurrectionist, someone who's fostering rebellion. And Frank Gorshin, this alien creature, is black and white. So he has black on one side and white on the other, right? And he's chasing a guy who is also black on one side and white on the other. And Kirk and Spock, of course, being exceedingly enlightened because they're from the future, um, you know, are just dumbfounded as to the animosity that this guy has. And they think, well, what's he done? Has he blown up people? Has he done this and that? And he goes, no, he's, I, I'll get this wrong, so Trekkies, forgive me. He's white on black. And Spock looks at him and he says, sir, you are also white on black. And he's offended. He says, no, I'm black on white, or whatever it is. So the one guy's, they're opposite sides but they're black and white right down the middle. And the whole show goes around, and Kirk has to threaten blowing up the whole enterprise just to get this guy to back down and all that. And so, uh, you know, in the 60s, you know what they were playing, right? What note they were playing there with race, race, uh, race ideas, simply because a person has a different color to their skin or uh, shape to their eye or accent to their voice, whatever, however you want to play that. Um, should not cause us to see difference, should not cause us to see that difference. So what do you think? That show aired in the 60s. How we doing? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you can score some victories, truly true victories, in some areas, but it seems like we've dug ourselves deeper holes and wounds in other areas. In fact, isn't it fair to say that today what marks us is not that we stake out common ground, but that we stake out our positions as they are distinct from others. I want you to know this. This is a strange thing. I'm preaching in Twin Falls tonight for a a gathering of churches for Reformation, and I chose this non-Reformation text. I might get in trouble. Because the text I chose is from John, John 17. 
And it's fascinating. It was a, for me, it was just a delight to work through it because you know the tone of that. Pastor Von Bush just read it for you. That they may be one, Father, as we are one. Now, it's interesting because lest, we, lest you think I'm all about, you know, skittles and rainbows and kumbaya and holding hands, truth based, you know, unity not based on truth is not unity whatsoever. Or simple conformity, which we then call uniformity, is not unity either. And so, but Jesus is calling, it doesn't matter whether those things, whether, whether that's the case or not, Jesus' passion and call is that they may be one, Father, even as I in the Godhead with you. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that stunning? That they may experience that kind of perfect unity. Paul says it. In 1 Corinthians, as he writes to the church, well, of course you have divisions. You've got to have divisions to show who's more right. One of you says, I was baptized by Peter. Another one says, I was baptized by Apollos. Another one says, Paul and Jesus Christ. There have to be divisions among you, it seems, so that you can stake out your positions. That's plagued the church almost from its inception. It certainly plagued the Israelites in the Old Testament, didn't it? I read six pages of Luther on unity. And you should know this, though Luther lived in a very uh, disunified time and the Protestant Reformation led to literally thousands of denominations, right? Up to that point, there were two denominations, Eastern and Western. You had the Eastern Church and the Western Church. Well... Aaron would argue with me, but that's okay. You have the Coptics and others. Okay, I'll throw you that bone. Okay, so, but for the most part, you had two branches of Christianity, and then today there are literally thousands of different sects, branches of Christianity. And people point to Martin Luther as the, the, the catalyst, the spark that lit that fire. And so often I find that in Reformation time, we highlight those, those Lutheran things. And that's not inappropriate. I've preached many, many, many sermons on that and taught Bible classes on it. And we celebrated that, uh, I think, very well and very appropriately a couple years ago. But this text strikes me because I think a disease that faces us in our culture and in our age is that we are more quick to stake out our position than to find common ground. And so that's what I want to talk to you about here from this text because I believe, if you, know, if you know any of Luther's history, you know that he absolutely was appalled that it caused this division in the church. He was horrified. He was horrified that people were called Lutherans, because it was used as a swear word, to be honest, originally. He was appalled. His name for the church were evangelicals. Now that has connotations to it. If you say, oh, you're a fundamentalist or an evangelical or you're born again or whatever you're doing, here we stake out our spot here and 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 we draw lines and we say, I'm black on white and you, my friend, are white on black. And we fail to celebrate and rejoice in what Jesus Christ is calling us to in this very significant text. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 is worth revisiting again and again and again and again. As Jesus nears the end of his ministry here on earth, Jesus' passion and his purpose and his desire and hope 
is wrapped up in this prayer that he prays not just for his disciples, but clearly is speaking directly to you and me. I pray not just for these disciples here now, not for them alone. I pray for those who will come to faith because of their testimony. And that's us. That is you and me. And so Jesus is praying directly for you and for me in that moment, along with all believers throughout all time. And what's his prayer? That they may be one. Now, again, as I say, lest you think this is all about holding hands and singing Kumbaya, Jesus also says that they may be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. truth Mark Twain had a great statement on this. He said, you don't have to have a long memory if you always speak the truth. I thought that was a pretty good quote. I'd never seen that one from him. You don't have to have a long memory. Because point number one that I have here out of these, I got four points I want to share with you in here because I think this kind of lost value is something important for us to speak to on Reformation because Reformation could be, to be honest, among Lutherans, could be a moment where we actually highlight our differences instead of rejoicing in Jesus' call to unity. What, call, what binds us together? So there's four things I want to share here on this. So um, can you show those? Um, those uh, so these are about memory. These are about memory. How to improve your memory. Dang, I forgot my notes. Okay, next one. Short-term memory loss support group. Good evening. You're probably all wondering why you just walked into this room. Okay, there you go. Next one. Three old guys are out walking. First one says, windy, isn't it? Second one says, no, it's Thursday. Third one says, so am I. Let's get a beer. What do we want? Better memory. When do we want it? Want what? <laughs> yeah. This one, actually, I don't know if this pertains, but I thought it was so funny I had to share it with you. Last night, my friend and I were sitting in the living room. I said to her, I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent on some machine, fluids from a bottle. If that ever happens, just pull the plug. She got up, unplugged my computer, and threw out my wine. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. I love that. I love that. The first thing is this. And this one, actually, and Aaron, you'll appreciate this. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to pick on you. I just so appreciate the team we have and the, the joy we have, Jim and Aaron and I, talking about theology and scripture. Because Aaron would say this right away, I believe. Unity requires a long memory. And we have very short memories. We suffer from tremendous memory loss. We are not students of history. We don't reflect on the, on the things which have. We live in an age of, what's, of what Aaron has said to me is called modern chauvinism. Everything new is better. Everything new is better. And then we live with the converse effect, an overreaction, which says all, tradi all tradition is better than what we got now. Neither of those things is correct. What we cling to is the foundation upon which we stand. And the foundation upon which we stand is what God's people have confessed throughout all ages. What God's people have confessed faithfully again and again and again and again. You know the irony of that? Those are the things God's people have confessed throughout all the ages. It is grace alone that saves us, not by your works, so that no one can boast or take credit for it. It is as clear as a bell, anyone saying anything different than that, that, well, yeah, Jesus did a lot, but, you know, i got to do my part. Or i got to do my part, and then, you know, once I've done all I can do, then Jesus will get me over the hump. And that detracts from the glory which is rightly due Christ alone. Only Christ receives that glory. 
And so the church and God's people of faith have always said that, whether it's Abraham who believed God, faith alone, and it was credited to him as righteousness, or Mary hearing the announcement of the angel, let it be to me as you have said. Grace alone, faith alone clings to that promise, spoken to us through scripture alone, no extra scriptures, no extra words, no extra testimony, because once again, it imagines that God's word revealed to us through the ages by prophets, apostles, is not enough. How offensive is that? It's not enough to hear the words, what is righteousness, what is salvation and eternal life, to believe in him who he has sent. It's enough. It's all we need. And God's promise has said that and has wrapped itself up in Christ alone. So all I'm saying to you is, Lutherans sin when we think we have a corner on those things. We think we're the only ones who say it or do it right. And it's not true. Because we see through a glass dimly also, don't we? The glass, the window pane is still dirty and muddy. But thank God that we see some things clearly, don't we? Thank God that we have Jesus alone, Christ alone, upon whom we can stand. And so the first thing is this, is our memory, which is so short, needs to get better. And the only way that I know our memory continues to get better, and we're going to enter into a season where we work on your memory. Because Thanksgiving is a memory exercise. All the assigned readings for Thanksgiving and that season of thank, on that day of celebration is remember God's goodness. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember how he has done this to you. And then remembering is not just calling to mind, but remember us into your body. Remind us that we are members of your own body. Not our body to whom we add you, but your body which you have invited and added to yourself. You are the vine, and we are the branches, and we take our life and hope from you. Unity requires a sharp and extensive memory. Disunity comes from very poor memory. We forget the mistakes we've made. We forget the comments that have made. We forget the testimony that other people of faith have made throughout the ages, and we forget to rejoice in that which binds us together. Jesus says it this way, This is eternal life. And that's why I put this quote in here. This is eternal life. A life which has no beginning and no end. A life which is not on the timeline. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's a long memory, my friends. It goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden as God curses the serpent. Adam and Eve place their trust in the one that God will send. Their trust, not their actions, not their work, not their decision, their simple trust that God has made a promise that God will keep. All believers have been saved in exactly the same way throughout every age and every generation, exactly the same. Faith and trust in the promise of God alone, we know it to have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ the Messiah. Second point, second point. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, and you've heard me say this. Um, it, this is the first community and congregation where I have been an active part of a local uh, ministerium. 
So we have kind of two groups. There's an interfaith group, and then there's a, a group that we call Pastor's Prayer. And our simple thing is to pray for one another, to hear what's going on in our lives, and to lift our congregations up in prayer. And that group is a little more conservative, has more of a biblical worldview. We share those things. So there's about 10 of us. And it's everyone from Assemblies of God and a Foursquare Church and Nazarene and non-denominational and so forth, a whole variety of different uh, ba denominational backgrounds. Did you know we don't agree on everything? Is that amazing? Does that stun you? Stunning. But do you also know, I love to tell you this, it is amazing what we agree on. It is amazing. And you know, I said this to my buddies, and there's a whole group of us there, because they've become good friends, because we've invested time in one another, and we've listened to one another. It's great. I said to them, you know, you guys, it, it, it saddens me because it's a measure of my brokenness and the brokenness of our church, of the church as a whole, Big C Church, that we're imperfect, that we don't all eat at the same banquet table today, but I know we will. I know we will. Because you have confessed, because this is what we confess. We confess these things. We confess who Christ is, the whole Christ, the full Christ, fully God, fully mad, God incarnate who came to save us, our only hope, our complete satisfaction for sins. We confess that together. We confess the triune God, perfect in harmony and unity, with God's intention and passion to save the world and reconcile it to himself. We confess that God's word alone is our source of authority and nothing else. We confess that the Bible is, as delivered to us, faithful and true. And we can rely upon it. And none of our denominational confessions of faith trump God's word. I can, we confess together that, our, that it is faith clinging to the promises of Christ and clinging to our Savior as we sink beneath the waves that he lifts us up and restores us and breathes life into us. And that God's Holy Spirit is the one who works faith in us and continues to sanctify us and make us righteous in his sight. We confess all of that. My friends, that's a lot. That's a lot. And it's fun because I say to these guys, I'm okay that we don't agree on everything because I'm imperfect. And I'm okay that we don't pretend that we agree on all things. That's worse, in my opinion. It's worse to fake it. It's worse to pretend that you agree and ignore things. It's more important to say, you know, we disagree, but let's talk and let's search scripture and let's pray. I give you a great story. I said to him the other day, and some of you might be shocked by this. Um, I said to him, because in our denomination, we, say, we do kind of limit admission to the Lord's table. We say for admission to the Lord's Supper, it's, we don't have a bunch, you don't have to show your Missouri Synod Lutheran member card. Okay, you don't have to do that or your tattoo or whatever. There are some churches that do that. They, they're in a different setting. They're in a different setting. I'm not going to stand in, in judgment of that. But in our setting, only about 15% of us in this room kind of grew up Lutheran. And so, but we have, Holy Communion is such a big deal for us. It's so significant, so important because, see, among that group, I'm the only guy who believes in that group that Christ is actually physically meeting us with the forgiveness of sins in that meal. 
And so I said to him one time, and I love to do this, I love to throw a bomb in the middle and then we talk for three months. I said, so if you guys came to church and I didn't give you communion, how mad would you be? Oh man, they were mad. Because in their traditions, it doesn't work like that. Because it's, it's symbolic. So it's symbolic. So if you confess Christ as your Savior, it's all good. And you may sit out there and say, well, that's how it should be. That's fine. Longer discussion. But our, ours is, this is such a big deal. It's why it comes where it comes in the service. It's why we do it at both services, at celebration and festival times. Because we're celebrating. It's the feast of God. It's the messianic banquet, the heavenly table. It's, that's what it is. If we have not elevated that enough in your hearts and minds, hear me on this. When you come here, it's because Christ has sent you an invitation in his blood. And he says, I myself will serve you when you kneel at my altar. I will embrace you. I will wash your feet and I will give you my body and blood. You can be sure your sins are forgiven. So we spent three months debating that one. And at the end, we said, you know what? I'm in a good spot because I can still worship with you. I could sit in here and worship. I could learn from God's word. We could share and bless one another. But that thing we don't agree on. And I don't know if I'm wrong or you're wrong or right. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And that's where we're at because we spend every Thursday spending an hour to two hours praying for one another, listening to one another. So my point number two is, really is this. Reformation is not a Lutheran pep rally. Lutheran, L- Reformation should not be a Lutheran pep rally. What should it be? It should be a Jesus pep rally. I think we do that here. I think. I think we do pretty well. It should be a Jesus pep rally. It should be Jesus, Jesus, that chant again and again, just Jesus, only Jesus, who binds us, who unites us, who gives me grace, who calls me into his truth, and that I cling to. So you know what? If my brother John over in Gate City or my brother Mike over at First Baptist What I discover is when I'm sinking beneath the waves, clinging to the feet of Jesus Christ, I find them doing the very same thing. Clinging to their Savior. And so that's number two. Yes, we have differences. And that's okay. Because it causes us to talk. In our current culture, I'm afraid our differences cause us to stake out positions. And there the twain shall meet. Dating myself again. Okay, third one. Unity, oh, by the way, here's the scripture for that. Verse 10 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. Did you catch that? You should circle that if you have an outline. All mine are yours. Not the Lutherans only. Not the Baptists only. Not the Presbyterians or the Catholics or the Greek Orthodox. All mine are yours. And I don't get the decision on how to say who's his. He does. And so all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Praise God. Third one. Unity reveals the very nature of God. I'm afraid that division and discord actually reveal a lot about our broken condition. Division and discord reveal a lot about what we want, about what we're trying to acquire. Unity is messy. It's hard. It's work. You can't always agree. I have found that groups have unified and they don't agree and it doesn't go well. I mean, even in our own Lutheran branch, 
massive uh, agreements were made in the 80s where groups joined together and they set aside things that mattered deeply to those folks and said for the sake of unity we will ignore this peace and that denomination is now half of what it was simply 30 years ago half because they did not stand together in unity on the foundation of Jesus Christ alone and God's Word alone and my heart grieves for that it just grieves that we struggle in the same way in our own denomination okay are you being faithful or are you trying to reach people for Jesus why is that two different things to be faithful compassionate and reaching out to others unity reveals the very nature of God his purpose his mission and what is his purpose that they may be one father in me in you as we are one that we may be one because sin has divided humanity sin separated us from God and in Christ's grace in his work on the cross in his glorious resurrection he has made the two Paul says Ephesians chapter 2 he has made the two one abolishing the dividing wall of hostility and made the two one one new man out of the two God's unity of purpose can unify us today I'll give you an example so I we do stuff with these other churches horrors we do um, so we'll go and we'll we'll do uh, feeding the 5,000 we'll do back to school ministry we sponsor great big crazy heavy metal concert in our gym where I wear earplugs we do we do uh, Valley Mission we're working on Valley Mission with First Baptist we're working with all of these different churches and those are the places where we find joy and unity and purpose together because the purpose is that we can bring Christ into the midst of our community to people and so when people point out, yeah, but you guys still have divisions and you argue, and I go, yeah, but we, on a, we agree on a whole lot more. And what we agree on is what we celebrate. What we agree on is what we celebrate, and what we disagree on, we talk about and pray about and seek God's word. Jesus says, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world, or completely one, is actually, I believe, a better translation of that, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That unity of Christ's purpose can unite us today. Even when we don't, dis don't agree on all things, his unity of purpose unites us today. Fourth thing is this. Reformation is always and only about the word. I do not ask for these only, now Jesus speaking to us, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. We are made one in the word. The word which you heard from Pastor Von Bush today that says, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. That word, that creative power of word, which provides for us, brings life and breath and hope and faith. God's word brings life, his spoken word. And what we see it in our creation, we see it in new lives that are forgiven and restored. Jesus' word that says to us, you are mine, this is my body and blood, you are forgiven. God's word of promise, written in Holy Scripture, divinely given, divinely preserved, which shares his promises of love without fail to every seeking heart throughout all generations. We don't mess with it. We rejoice in it. And, for, and we proclaim it. And finally, and most importantly, we are made one in the living word.
In the living word of promise, the living word made flesh, God who took on human flesh to walk with us, to walk to a cross, to rise victorious, our Jesus, who lives and has taken us to be his very own, who reigns and declares us priests and saints and fellow members of the kingdom of God, that we might declare his glories and his glories alone. That's worth celebrating. Let's do that today and every day. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for this day in which we remember. We go back past 1517, and we go back to 33 AD. We go back to the birth of, of, your, of, our, of your Son, our Savior. We go back to the promise made all the way in the Garden of Eden, for you have always saved in the same way. So Lord, continue to pour out your grace upon your people that we may cling to it, and that in that certain grace... In that soul, Jesus Christ, the whole Christ, may we be found one, even as you are one. Unite us to yourself, Lord Jesus. In, Je in your name we pray it. Amen. Hey everyone, just a quick announcement that we have the workshop on spiritual gifts happening in early November, November 8th and 9th. You can still sign up. There is still space available, and you can do so on our website, glc.gracepocatello.org.